Amen. Great to be with you today. Um, This weekend, we celebrate Memorial Day when we remember people who laid their lives on the line and many of them giving their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we all enjoy. People died even so that you would be free to have a stupid opinion or do something weird. It's something that really we need to always remember what it cost for us to be able to enjoy the liberty that we have. And so Memorial Day is an important event for us. And as I um, always do on Memorial Day, we have a man from our church who's a, a veteran, Roger Caves, who comes and just shares a few thoughts for us as we consider that Memorial Day is more than just a day off, more than just a picnic, more than just a time to rest, but it's something that's powerful. And so, um, Roger, why don't you come on up and remind us? Thank you, Pastor Dave. I always appreciate being able to do this and be a reminder to everyone. Um, today, we mark a day, a time of special importance to our nation, which is Memorial Day, tomorrow. The Civil War lasted from 1861 to 1865. It was a horrific conflict, pitting brother against brother, family against family. It's the costliest of all of our nation's armed conflicts, over 620,000 dead, more than all of our other wars combined. By virtue of the mass casualties and the way of the battlefields, they became cemeteries as Union and Confederate soldiers were buried right where they fell. And that was a conflict that battered and shook a young America to its very core, left behind bitterness, nearly unbearable grief, and deep-felt anger. A gloomy outlook stood at the precipice of peace with barely a glimmer of hope. And yet, within a short year after the cannons and rifles fell silent, in April 1866, a rising hope of healing emerged. Several women and children, too, went out from Columbus, Mississippi, and many other locations at the same time, into the battlefields to clear the weeds off the graves, to straighten up the toppled makeshift markers, and to decorate the graves with flowers. Well, word of this special act of compassion and healing spread quickly across our nation, and it resulted in the establishment of Decoration Day, proclaimed by General John Logan of the Grand Army of the Potomac, a former Union general. And it was designed to honor Union soldiers killed in the Civil War. And after the end of World War I, with all the carnage that happened there, the name was changed to Memorial Day. And it became a day, a time to honor uh, all who passed away and died in our nation's wars. And since our founding, over 44 million men and women have joined our military. That's the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. They came from all walks of life. They were farmers, they were teachers, store clerks, police officers, mechanics. They were citizens who were fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. They answered the call to arms with remarkable courage and honorable intent, leaving behind the comfort of home and family, not in search of personal glory, wealth, or fame, but to risk their lives for us and for many others for the price of ultimate price of freedoms is not less than giving one's life. 
Memorial Day is tomorrow, and this is our chance as a free people to recognize and pass along to new generations the untainted memory of those who, as President Lincoln stated at Gettysburg, gave their last full measure of devotion. Americans must never forget our brave warriors whose sacrifice paid for the lives each of us are now free to live. We must never allow their courage and honor to fade from our memories, left to rest only upon cold stone mon monuments marking their final resting place. Now, their selfless example and service set an example for each succeeding generation and for their commitment to something bigger than themselves, our freedoms and our way of life, they deserve every honor we can bestow upon them, not the least of which is our never-ending gratitude. And may we as a grateful nation never forget that God provided those common citizens with a desire to serve in spite of the risk that they may be called upon to lay down their lives for people they would never know. So how can you honor our fallen warriors? You can attend a Memorial Day ceremony tomorrow. There are many of them in the local area. They usually start at 11. Or you can visit local cemeteries and place flowers on the graves of our fallen heroes that happen to be buried there. Or you can participate in the National Moment of Remembrance. This was set up by Congress as a way to remind everyone of the true meaning of the day. So at 3 o'clock, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, a ball game, a picnic, or a barbecue, stop what you're doing and take one minute of silence to reflect upon the true meaning of the day and the magnitude of the sacrifices that have occurred. So take a moment to remember our heroes who didn't return to families and friends to enjoy many years of good times as you've been able to do. And thank God that he provided so many courageous men and women willing to die for the cause of freedom no matter where they were called to defend it. God bless America and all those who stand in our defense. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that. Well, we are getting towards the end of 2 Samuel. If you've been with us, this, is a, this has been a challenging and enjoyable journey through the life of David, one of the greatest people in the history of the Bible. We've gone through earlier, back to last year, we went through 1 Samuel and seeing him as a young man, and then in 2 Samuel watching his reign as king over Israel, all the challenges, some of his failures, the whole story. Now we've come to the part of the book where he's wrapping things up. It actually doesn't record his death in 2 Samuel. The first chapter of 1 Kings is what gives us that final chapter. But the last time we were in 1 Samuel, a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 22, where David wrote this psalm. And it's kind of clear that the psalm was the last thing that David wrote. The last time that he really prophetically scripted something creative that would be a hymn. Now, when we get to chapter 23, we actually, it's kind of an artificial division between chapters 22 and 23. You know, the, in the original, it's all one book. It's all one scroll. It, it wasn't like there weren't chapter breaks. And David's last song that he wrote in chapter 22 is concluded in 
the first part of chapter 23. But there's a little bit of a shift as he puts a, some notes in about himself and what he learned, and it's all really incorporated into this psalm. But let's just look at 2 Samuel 23. We're going to see his conclusion of his psalm, really, is the first seven verses. And then the rest of the chapter, it's easy to overlook it because it seems like kind of a boring list of a bunch of soldiers. And um, we'll look at that some too. And it's interesting that David put that in as a capstone on his life. So we'll get to that. But in verse 1, now these are the last words of David. The son, David, the son of Jesse, he remembered who he was. He remembered he started out as a youngest kid. Jesse never really sang David's praises. He kind of sent him out in the field to work, used him as a messenger boy. And David's like, now I'm the king of Israel. Now I have a palace. Now I am in charge of the entire country. I've accomplished a lot. I've written a bunch of songs. I have a bunch of wives and kids and concubines. I'm like, I'm there. But I never forgot. I'm the son of Jesse. I'm still that same kid. I'm still that same guy. Thus says the man raised up on high. I started there and God has lifted me up and I'm still amazed by it. The anointed of the God of Jacob. I'm the guy that God anointed. Still that same guy. And the sweet psalmist of Israel. Besides doing everything that I've done, the whole nation and really God's people for thousands of years will be worshiping God using my poetry. Kind of incredible. The Spirit of the Lord, verse 2, spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He said, most amazing of all, at the end of my life, to think that things that God wanted to say, he said it through me. That people heard me and they heard God. And he's just like, unbelievable. He had a sense that what he was writing was actually scripture, but that it was also faithfully producing the truth about God in a way that people could understand. And so now in verse three, in the middle of the verse, he kind of gives the point of everything. He goes, here's the bottom line lesson that I kind of want to conclude with. And he gives this principle. He who rules over men, that is a person who is in a position of leadership, must be just, ruling in the fear of God. He said, after everything I've been through, This is the most important thing. A person who is going to influence other people needs to be just and have a respect and a fear of God. Now that word just is is used in a lot of different senses. It certainly means that you do the right thing, that you want the right thing. At its essence, it means you're fair. And really, if you wanted to summarize it with a word that we use a lot, he says, If you want to represent God, if you want to lead people, do it with integrity. Integrity is such a, is a word that we almost ignore. It's rare for us, but integrity means 
you know, in math, an integer is a whole number, 1, 3, 5, 17, as opposed to a fraction, 1 and a half, 1 and 3 fourths. That's what integrity is. It's whole numbers. It means I am who I am. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. And for leadership, the most important thing for who you follow and for who you are going to be if you want to influence other people is it starts by being real. You do not play a game with pretending to lead when really you don't even know who you are and people don't even know who you are. This is not an act. This is not a performance. This is not a scheme. If you want to lead people, start with integrity. Start with being real. But he goes on and says, that's such a blessing. In verse 4, he'll be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. He's like, a person with integrity is so refreshing. Like, you hear them and you're like, I can't believe somebody's actually saying what I was thinking, but I never heard anybody say it because it wouldn't be a self-serving advantage in order to do it. And it's like, every once in a while, don't you just meet somebody and go, their honesty is so refreshing. I'm glad you said that. Well, he's saying that's what a leader is supposed to be like. That's the quality that a leader needs. And so... And who could argue with that? That's certainly true. But here's the next thing is really interesting too. Although, verse 5, my house is not so with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Here's the thing. He says, leaders need to have integrity and I'm not saying that I have integrity. I love it. it. It would be so easy for him to say, if you want to be used by God, you should be like me. That's true. But he doesn't say it. Because if he said, a leader needs to be just before God, like me, he just disqualified himself from integrity. One of the first signs of integrity is when a person tells you they don't have it. When a person admits that they have flaws, that, that they are sometimes not sincere, but that they are sometimes they're appalled by their own behavior. And it's, again, it's this interesting catch-22, like the old story about the kid who they gave him a medal for being humble, and then they took it away from him because he wore it. You know? It's like, <laughs> if you're saying, we need integrity, like me, whoops, you just sacrificed your integrity. So you need to find leaders who are real and real enough to admit that they're far from being perfect. They can admit their flaws. They can, you know, at the same time, what they desire with all their heart is for God to work in their lives in such a way that they become more this way. And so David is setting himself out as an example in a very clever way to demonstrate his humility by pointing out that he is far from being perfect. The only perfect leader was Jesus. Everybody else was flawed. But there's a difference 
between somebody whose agenda is to get whatever they want or to be able to make a contribution to others. And it's really hard to sometimes know the difference between the two. And you know, ultimately, this is a problem even among Christian leaders. At what point am I promoting myself? And at what point am I trying to stay out of the way so that, in fact, God looks good, so that he can get the glory, so that I am admitting, man, I need him as much as everyone else does. So David, in the end, is saying, be careful, because people are tempted to promote themselves. And when they do, they are disqualifying themselves from truly being a leader of integrity. So, but then he gives a contrast and says, and again, like, look, I'm not saying that way. It's the grace of God that allows me to do what I'm doing, basically, he lays out. But then he says, verse 6, the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away. They can't be taken with hands. These prideful, selfish, manipulative people, the man who touches them needs to do it with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they'll be utterly burned with fire in their place. So this is David's capstone on his life, basically, and on here's what leadership is like. It's one of the reasons why later on in 1 Kings, when he talks to Solomon before David dies, he's challenging him. You know, this isn't about you. This is about God. It's about his character. It's about his people. And you need to have integrity. Solomon did that sometimes. Sometimes he didn't. In the end, God called him the wisest person to ever live. So overall, I think there's an awful lot that Solomon gave us that was good. But David, in the end, is saying, this is the most important thing. The most important thing isn't your talent, isn't how many people you can attract, isn't how people rate you, isn't how much you accomplish. It's, are you real? And boy, that's super important. If David, the guy who's the greatest leader in all of the Old Testament history, arguably, the one who Jesus later, the last chapter of the Bible, brags about being related to him, sounds like he knows something. So when he's saying, here's my last word, then I would say we should listen to it for sure. Now the rest of the chapter from verse 8 on is a mostly boring list of a bunch of people you've never heard of for the most part. He lists a whole bunch of soldiers, his mighty men, he calls them. And he tells, he starts out by telling a few stories of some of the things they did, and then he's just like, oh, guy, this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy. Most of the people in this chapter you've never heard of because their name doesn't even appear anywhere else in Scripture. Some of them appear in the parallel passage in First Chronicles, but nowhere else. So David's winding things down. He's writing this poem, and now it's like he's going, but there's some people I want to talk about. There are some stories I want to tell you. There are people who you've never heard of that I don't want my life to end on a look-at-me thing. I want to let you know, people who made a difference in my life that you, they never got the glory, and most people don't even know who they are, and many of them died 
serving faithfully. And so he starts in and you look through and he starts out with this guy that's called Adino, uh, the Esnite. He got in there because he killed 800 men at one time. So in this one battle, it would seem like now in Chronicles, the same guy that says he killed 300. So there are people who are like, oh, it says 800 here. It says 300 here. Do the math. If he killed 800, he also killed 300. So, you know, what's the problem? But it isn't the point. The point is this guy fought against all odds. We don't know. This may have been the end of his life. But David's just going, that guy did a lot of damage. It's hard for us. Many of us were raised in a in an era of history where, like, peace is the ideal. You know, we just want to be at peace. We just want to make peace. We need to talk peace. We need to... I grew up in that, you know, oh, this peace. There's nothing that we have, and it's important to remember on a Memorial Day for sure, there's nothing that we have that somebody didn't die so that we could have it. That's the way it is. That's the way you get countries. That's the way you get rights. That's the way you get freedom. That's the way you get a future is because somebody's willing to give their life. And David's saying, you never heard of this guy. Give several different names for him even. But man, I'll never forget that day when he fought his heart out and he did a lot of damage. And that's something that as I've come to the end of my life, I want to honor him. And then he goes on. <laughs> After talking about that guy, he talks about the... Um, um, after talking about Adino, then he said, then there was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. We were battling against the Philistines and the Jews were mostly running away. But he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. This guy, David's like, he fought so hard that his hand got stuck to the sword. You could not, and we don't know if this guy died in this battle and they had to pry his cold dead fingers off the handle of the sword or we don't know but somehow it inspired people to go if he could fight like that they had a great victory and a lot of but but it's like are there people that you can think of who just wouldn't quit who just they became incapacitated because they were hanging in there so hard so desperate wanting to do something that God had called them to do David remembers this one and he goes, this guy's not famous. Nobody really knows who he is. He didn't write a book of the Bible. In fact, you read through the stories, he doesn't even show up except right here. But David goes, I'll never forget him. And I want to put it on record. That guy was special. And then after him was, was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite, verse 11. The Philistines had gathered together to a piece of ground that was full of lentils. It was where they had their vegetables growing. This guy made the list, Shammah, because he got in the middle of the field and put his life on the line to protect the food supply. See, protecting vegetables? I don't know. I probably wouldn't mention it. 
But that was their survival. No one could win a battle if they didn't have nutrition and were able to eat. And so David's like, the guy that protected the kitchen, that guy is as much of a hero as anybody else. He made it possible for the soldiers to be fed. He was willing to fight to continue to keep the food supply going. And so he got listed. And then there's 30, he mentions these 30 guys that, you know, it was harvest time and David was in Adullam there in the wilderness and the Philistines had surrounded Bethlehem, David's hometown. And David was just sitting there going, man, you know what would taste good right now? When I was a kid, I remember that well right outside Bethlehem and that water was so refreshing. It was so delicious. I'm here in the wilderness living in a cave. What I wouldn't give for some water out of that well that I drank from when I was a kid. And these three guys took off and battled their way. And we don't know how many soldiers died with them doing it, but we know about these three guys. They got a cup of water right under the noses of the Philistines, brought it back to David and go, here, does this taste familiar? David, as you read on in the story, he goes, I didn't want anybody to, inge- you know, to jeopardize their life for me. Man, I appreciate it. But he took the water and he said, I'm going to pour it out before the Lord. And he poured it out on the ground. And I'm sure they're like, what? But now he's saying, I understood what you guys were doing. You had my back. You wanted to take care of me. You wanted to make me more comfortable. You wanted to bless me. You wanted to cheer me up. And he's saying, as a leader, that meant so much to me. It meant more than just getting some water. And so he takes these three guys and he goes, I never forgot that. Now, this story tells something about, as a leader, that there were some guys who were totally loyal to David, who would risk their life to bring him a cup of water, to help him to feel more comfortable. Anybody who's ever been in leadership understands that, man, if there's somebody there that just cares about you, what a difference that makes, even in kind of silly ways. I, you know, I've had, as a pastor, you go through tough times and things are hard. And there are certain people, there was one person who just, you know, came to me and said, Dave, I'm afraid you're, you're going to fall apart if you just keep doing what you're doing. It wouldn't kill anybody for you to take a day off. Or you don't need to be here on Monday. Another time he went and talked, you know, he goes, you, the board hasn't given you a raise in like three or four years. And he went and talked to them and said, this is wrong. And and they rectified it. And it's like, a guy like that, it's just like, I don't want it for me. But you understand what loyalty is. You understand what love looks like. You, When there's somebody who you know has your back, even in some silly little thing that doesn't matter so much, man, leaders know what it's like to be betrayed. It happens constantly. I know in a church, there's always somebody who gets mad about something and leaves. But there are people who, you know, and I look at all the years I've been at this church, 
There are some people who have been here the whole time I was here. They were here before me, and they just continue to serve in amazing ways. And you don't know how much that means to just have somebody who has your back. I have people who pray for me every week and tell me that they pray. Just send me even a prayer. And I'm like, you don't know what that, it seems like a simple thing. But man, knowing that people have your back, knowing that people care about you and how you are doing and wanting to, to encourage you in any way that they can or they want to bless you. You know, some of the notes I get and things like that are just like, those are the things that keep you going. And I would never solicit it and I'm not now. And I really, I'm uncomfortable and embarrassed sometimes when people tell me, oh, I'm so amazing. And at the same time, it's like, I can't accept that. I have to offer that up to the Lord. But man, I'll never forget those times when I was at, on the mat at the count of nine and somebody came along and said, here, I want to bless you. And so that's David. And he's like, I never forgot. Then he goes on and it's interesting that he now mentions Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, um, who was part of another one. He lifted his spear against 300 guys killed them and won a name among these three. And he was the most honored of those three. Now, Abishai, we know something about. He was kind of David's bodyguard, but he was always known as the brother of Joab. Joab got, he was the general. He got all the attention and he deserved it. He was amazing. But now it's like, I don't want to forget his brother. Now, a little bit later, he He also mentions his other brother down in verse 24, Azahel. But here he mentions Abishai and what he accomplished. And then he mentions Benaiah who killed two lion-like heroes of Moab and killed a lion in the middle of a snowy day and he killed an Egyptian. He's listing these things and just going, these guys are, I want to honor them right now. Azahel in verse 24 the brother of Joab, remember him? He was like a kid. He wanted to be like his big brothers and, you know, uh, Joab and Abishai. So he went after Abner, the, the general for Saul. And, you know, he's chasing him down. And Abner's going, knock it off, man. You're a punk kid. But if I have to kill you, then your brother's going to come and kill me. And in fact, that's what happened. He ends up killing him. And, and then he ends up being killed by his two brothers. But David says, I don't want to forget Azahel. And that little guy was stupid, but he scrapped. He gave his life for what he believed. He felt like he was fighting for us. And I want to mention him. And then he just starts naming all these guys. And most of them are people that aren't in Scripture anywhere else. You don't know them. But he's making this list of names. It's interesting, down in verse 34, he mentions Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Ahithophel was one of David's best friends. This was his son. Ahithophel ended up trying to kill David. But his son, you know, he was a warrior and he wanted to acknowledge him. His son was also the father of Bathsheba, David's wife. So it's like he's honoring this, even though, ooh, that might remind us of some stuff. He goes down and 
the armor bearer of Joab, Neherai, um, gets mentioned. Like, yeah, everybody remembers Joab, but how about the guy in front of him? How about his? But then what's a trip is you get to the end of the chapter and the last guy listed, unbelievable, and Uriah the Hittite. David's writing his list of people whose lives mattered in his kingdom and to him and people that he looks back on and says, I want to honor them. And I wonder, as he's going through the list, he's thinking, I don't know, man. I'm thinking of all these guys. and I'm thinking of one of the most loyal soldiers I had wasn't even Jewish. He was a Hittite. And I had him killed so I could take his wife from him. But then he goes, I can't leave him off the list. And in fact, he gave him the most notable position at the end of the list, at the top. Finally, Uriah the Hittite. Now that's integrity. That's a leader who will say, you know, this person, everybody knows what happened. And it's weird. And every time you see me with my, my youngest wife, you're remembering her husband. But I'm just telling you, man, I'll never forget that guy. Even though I had him killed. I'm not perfect. But I'm not going to be in denial about something that really mattered. Sometimes we look back in our lives and there are people who it didn't end well for us. But can we acknowledge the place they had in our lives? Can we acknowledge how God used them for a time? They're not perfect. None of us are. But listing all of these guys, and I just love that Uriah's at the end of the whole thing. I, I, that is something that I've thought about a bunch, and I'll always, when I think of this chapter, I'm going to think of the last guy on the list, this Hittite loyal soldier, so loyal to David that he, he refused to even take advantage of a situation. He had to go back into the battle, and he got set up, and that was it. And now David's about to die himself, and he's like, I want to honor that guy. For every one of us, first of all, we have to ask, answer the question, am I going to be the kind of person who lives with integrity, who lives in a just way? Am I going to deal honestly about myself and with others? Am I going to do it perfectly? No. But is that who I desire to be? No one can answer that question except you when you decide, do you want to be real or do you want to pretend? Are you going to do what's going to serve you well? Are you willing to make yourself look bad in order to make sure that you at least look real? See, you can't really lead people if you're not being you. You're only deceiving people. It's just a scam. It's just an ad campaign. And it's so important in every area of life that we decide, I want people to know that I'm real, that I'm just. And it'll be refreshing. It'll be a blessing to people, even though it won't be perfect, but you'll find God's grace and somehow he'll get you through it. But I think every one of us too, we need to think back on, Who got me where I am today? Some of the people that God used in my life, it may have not ended well. 
Others, nobody ever heard of. I could give you a list of people that I could say, these guys had an incredible influence, not only in my life, but in everybody that, you know, that God did in our church and other, like, I think of, you know, for, I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa for so many years. I think of Hal Fisher, who was one of the original, he was on the board when they called Pastor Chuck to come to Calvary Chapel, when it was just a handful of people. He's a, a career policeman, ended up being the police chief in Placentia. He was in Costa Mesa before and in Marysville up in Northern California. And Hal, I, he was one of the closest friends that I had. And that guy had integrity. He would tell the truth. Oh, I can remember him being devastated. But in all the years that he was involved in leadership in that church, he would speak the truth. And I'm telling you, in some ways, what God did at that church couldn't have happened apart from some of the things that he did. Trust me. There were other guys. Floyd Bennett, who goes to our church now, although he's now on his bed at home ready to go to heaven, but he was a board member back then, always with integrity, somebody that I knew I could always look up to, just an important people. And I can come up with a list of a lot of people. I mean, Pastor Romaine, I'm telling you. And by the way, when they make movies, they leave out this list of guys. They just tell you about the stars. But there was no Calvary Chapel. There was no Jesus movement without Pastor Romaine, trust me. And just an amazing, faithful man. And the thing about him that you, tr- that you love the most, he would tell you the truth. And he's on my list. Who's on yours? Who helped you to get where you are today? Who is it? Who's the unknown people that are in your past? Somebody like, uh, you know, Donna here, her dad was like that to me. He was just always there, always supportive. We all have our list, but have you thought about it? Have you thought through it and acknowledged the fact that, wow, I got here because a whole lot of people who were not perfect, but they were there at the right time and God used them, and I'm not where I am if it weren't for those people. I would encourage you to go back through your list and think of people that touched you in a certain way. That's your final chapter. That's your final tribute. That's your equivalent to what David does here. Do it. You'll end up being blessed because you'll realize, wow, there were a lot of heroes in my past that were, some of them were just heroes for a day, but they were heroes. And I'll never forget them, and I couldn't be where I am without them. Um, You know, it also... I, you know, people like to be acknowledged, too. I, when the first Macintosh computer came out in 1984, um, it revolutionized computing because graphic user interface, the great Super Bowl ad in 1984 when they introduced the product. But the Macintosh computer was like a box, and you couldn't even take it apart. Their point was you don't need to, but it had special screws. You had to have a special screwdriver to take it apart. Well, you know, of course, I had to contact some Chinese company, get one of those screwdrivers. I just wanted to see inside it. And you look inside the back case, and Steve Jobs, who ran the pro- the project of designing the Macintosh computer, he had a team of renegades at Apple that put this computer together. And when he made the casting for this fiberglass case, every member of that team autographed the casting 
And in every Macintosh computer, all those names were there. Very few people ever saw those names. But imagine if you were that person that thought millions of people are going to be able to accomplish lots of work Great books will be written, great works of art, great advertising campaigns, great academic exercises are going to happen, and my name is in there. Yeah, it's not on the outside cover. That makes it even more magical in a way that it's like, it's in there. Somebody acknowledged it. It's one of the things that made Apple such a, such a fascinating company. But it's one of the things that, in all of our lives, like... Are there acknowledgments? Have you ever even let somebody know, hey, if I'm writing my 2 Samuel 23, I'm putting a sentence in there for you. You made a difference for me. We need to think like that. Now, it's Memorial Day weekend. And so our thoughts go to people who we want to remember. And in a sense, all these people in this chapter, this is a Memorial Day tribute to them. It's like they would, most of them probably died fighting for the freedom of this nation of Israel. But we look at our past as those of us who are Americans, um, we think somebody died so that we could have this piece of land. Somebody died so that we can have the freedoms that we have. As much as you may not like it, Somebody died so that freaks could promote their stupid agenda without being killed. You act like, oh, no, we need, to, we need to shut these people down. Move to Iran. They don't have those kind of freaks there. But people died so that we could have the freedom to be wrong, to be stupid, to be everything else that we are and to worship God. And so understanding that It's good for us to remember. Memorial Day is a day to remember that nothing comes without a sacrifice and that there are people who died so that we could live. Um, Pastor Ken and Lindsay were just over on a a cruise and a tour of Europe. And Ken, I asked Ken, what was the highlight? Went to, you know, England and Ireland and Scotland. He said the, the highlight easily was Normandy, where on D Day, in World War II, we invaded France in order, to, in, in order to begin to defeat Hitler. And over 4,000 people died, Americans died in one day. 10,000 of our allied troops altogether died one day on the beach at Normandy in France. And there are, Kenny said there's these, you've seen pictures of them, the graveyards with all of these flags representing Americans who gave their lives. And, you know, Jerry sent me an article that showed there are French people today who dedicate themselves to each of them will adopt a grave of an American soldier who died at Normandy. And they say, the French go, We know that their family is way over in the United States. They can't come here and put flowers on the graves. So we adopt the graves and we put flowers on them and we keep them nice and tidy and put crosses and put American flags on them and things like that. It's like, that's amazing. And Ken felt being there at Normandy was like, this is heavy. How many Americans have even been there or even acknowledge it, or when it's Memorial Day, we think 
of all of those lives that were given so that we could go have a barbecue tomorrow or so that we could do whatever else we're going to do tomorrow. And it's like Memorial Day. You can't just completely live and, oh, I'm miserable. I'm not saying you need to fast tomorrow or something like that. But just stop and remember, like Roger was suggesting, just a little bit acknowledge that freedom isn't free. That what we have, somebody else died so that we could be here. As David said, here's a list of people that made it possible for Israel to exist, for me to be the king of Israel, for me to be free to write what I want to write, and for this nation to go on moving forward. The future is all due to the credit that belongs to a lot of anonymous people who were willing to put their lives on the line so that we could be free. So for me, this chapter, I'll always think of it as David's Memorial Day. But it's something that when we read it, we have a little thinking to do and a little thankfulness to do too. I encourage you this week to maybe think about who it is that's, that if you were just mentioning, not a big trip, but who was there in a way that sacrificed to make what, who you are and what you've become possible? Just mention it, even in your own mind. But write it down. If they're still alive, let them know, hey, you, you've really made a difference in my life. That kind of acknowledgement is what helps us discover integrity. Because integrity comes when you're humbled enough to realize I'm not a self-made person. There are a whole lot of people that had to do what they did in order for me to be here where I am. And being that kind of a person can also make you really refreshing and can also make it possible for God to use you in special ways. And so that's kind of my Memorial Day, 2 Samuel 23 um, deal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you always remember us. Thank you that you bless us based on our heart, not on our execution. Though we intend to be real, we often slip and fall. Help us to honor even those who we've hurt. Help us to honor those who've come before us, who have fought alongside us, even those who were just there with us a short time in our lives and then... You moved us on or you moved them on. We remember. We thank you for those people around the world, but in particular Americans, who took our future seriously enough and as valuable enough that they were willing to put their life on the line to make what we enjoy possible. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you for this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.